Hi, I'm your host, Susan Nay. Welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out. It's a series designed to help you demystify HR and the human resource processes. We're going to talk about people management and get the goods on and see how all this stuff works. You're going to hear from everyday heroes and get their perspectives as we touch on a wide variety of topics, topics that impact us in our work and in our work environments. You'll find nuggets for your treasure chest of learning. Hopefully you'll discover insights for your personal and your professional growth. I'm glad you're here. I suspect it's because you want to be the very best version of yourself, your personal best, and that you get understanding these systems and processes will help you on your journey, on your path. You ready to dare to soar? Want to join me at flight school? Let's do this. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, welcome to the podcast series, HR Inside Out, Demystifying HR and People Management. Dr. Keith Dietz is with me today. Thank you, Keith for joining me and chatting about important topics of leadership, leading in uncertainty, your personal journey, and the work that you're doing through Recreate, based out of Scotland and engaging individuals worldwide, people like me. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> you're welcome. I want to tell, us, tell the listeners a little bit about you. Is that okay? You're welcome. Go ahead, have fun. <laughs> okay. You're a doctoral practitioner graduate from the DBA Business Economics Program at University College Cork, where you were supervised by Harvard professors Robert Keegan, who's now retired, and Eleanor Doyle, who's co-chair of the Harvard Business School's Knowledge Generation Council and a Harvard Hall of Famer. I know that both of them, but particularly Robert Keegan, remain a huge influence on you. Your academic and practice credentials are further complemented by graduating from the Michael Smurfett Graduate School of Business, earning a postgraduate diploma in advanced business and executive coaching, along with attaining a, an MBA from Newport, study and certification in adult training and continuing education, neurolinguistics, industrial relations, negotiation, management accounting, and the science and practice of ac agriculture. I noticed that you've also taken training from MITx and leading awareness systems, awareness-based systems change, how to sense and actualize the future, and have a hypnosis practitioner certification. Wow. You've been a soldier, a prospector, a farmer, a food processor and retailer, a construction company owner, and you are now a coach and consultant. You share that you are a consummate believer in learning by doing lived experience, and the use of experiential knowledge and lifelong learning. You're a special, specialist in leadership and next level growth with practice-based training in adult mental development and complexity. I know that you update regularly and you're a lifelong learner. Uh, you practice with the world's top universities and institutes of technology, organizations like Harvard, MIT, and Wharton as your principal resources. For me, you're a walking definition of a lifelong learner and quite a role model for those of us working and learning with you. I know that you're constantly keeping curious. You share the best of what you find. Again, particularly nuggets from Harvard and Kinsey. 
I very much enjoyed being part of a deep dialogue group discussing leading in uncertainty. I, again, really appreciate your saying yes, uh, your amount of many credentials and lots of life experience. And um, just, yeah, allowing us to learn further from you in the podcast today. I'm going to start, I read your dissertation, and you shared that you were raised in an environment with expectations that increasingly didn't fit for you in, in both organizational fit and, and personally. So part of your doctoral research actually involved your own journey. And you share in your dissertation that the self-awareness is a really critical component of leadership. Can we start there and getting to know a little bit about, more about you and, and the journey that you've taken um, over your career? Well, I think that, that I think that I was just an incredibly curious person. Mm -hmm. Sure. To this day where that curiosity came from um other than the fact that i grew up in a very class and tribe family mm -hmm. there's sort of in what was then apartheid south africa and i looked at i think the fancy term is that they call us systems-based thinkers nowadays but but i was just a bloke growing up in the country and just watching from the outside in mm -hmm. Um, and I had serious questions. Um, firstly, about why people treated each other the way they did. Yeah. And why they behaved the way they did. Um, and I was kind of really conflicted from a very early age, somewhere around about 13, really, really conflicted about what was so pervasive in that society. Mm -hmm. Okay. The way women were treated, I'm talking about women in general, right? Um, how certain classroom tribe associations almost exempted you from, you know, behaving in a civil, uh, decent manner. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, you know, the actual apartheid itself, the black-white tension. And, and the, it was horrible to watch. Um, and it caused me serious conflict. And at the time, because I grew up in this amazing world of, you know, sort of uh, servants and homes and big homes and stables and golf courses and billiard rooms and snooker rooms and, you know, and the expectation that life was just going to be wonderful for me. Um, but the thing that, that bothered me was the way people were being treated, not only in society, but, you know, my own family were treating mm -hmm. um, it didn't sit well with me. Um, and I decided that, I, and I think there was also this thing that, you know, I was going to follow the family uh, decisions around my career. Mm -hmm. So I had one pulling me towards medical school and then one pulling me towards engineering. Um, and Somewhere in this whole thing, I started developing this wonderful word called no. <laughs> and with it <laughs> came some serious consequences, mm -hmm. including being expelled from university because I was told that the fit wasn't good. 
Mm. Um, so yeah, so that, that kind of prompted me to start making some more inquiries. So the soldiering aspect of my life gave me freedom, believe it or not. You know, you wouldn't so. But because I was in counterinsurgency, you know, we once we were out of the base camp and running around in the bush uh, with guns and things, it was like we were literally on our own, mm -hmm. a completely different world. And I suddenly realized, but hang on, this is such a contradiction. Um, so it prompted me to start looking at life again and asking further questions. And then when I was prospecting the same thing, it was like, here I am, a white bloke hanging out with a whole bunch of black guys looking for diamonds, right? In the middle of nowhere. And you're not supposed to even socialize with them. Uh, but we were so remote that I actually started socializing with them. And I found that everything that I'd seen in normal society uh, was quite different to who these people were. Mm -hmm. They were, in fact, they were great teachers. Yes, of course. And so through your career, you went through a number of, of different types of employment and businesses. Was that part of your journey? Like just trying to figure out what fit for you? I was searching. Mm -hmm. I was searching and I wasn't, I wasn't, I think my, my experience in, uh, as a courseman in, in counterinsurgency, uh, when I say courseman, I was a medic. That made a decision for me to say, look, medicine's not where I'm going. You know, you know putting pe people's parts, you know, in body bags, you know, human beings, you know, filling body bags. And, you know, that, that wasn't where I, I saw the future. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and then also when I started moving out of the, the, the rigors of apartheid life into the sort of, you know, the, the backwards where I was actually starting to talk to people of color and suddenly realized that we were all the same really at the end of the day. It was then that I started looking around me and I was saying, so how does the world work? Mm -hmm. Work. Yeah. And so you'd have this farmer whose lands that we were working on and prospecting uh, talking to me and I said, but you, you live in the, in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. How do you make it work? What, how does the economy work? And I was just fascinated by it. So slowly but surely, I started developing an interest in it. So I went farming to start with. You know, I went to college and went farming. But farming was fine, you know, as long as you're planting things and the tractor's running up and down and everything else. But there was this other interest, the economics of it. You know, how do you get the produce to the market? What's happening in the market? Who's paying what? And then because we were part of a developmental agency, there was there were no records. It was just a whole bunch of money being thrown at a whole bunch of projects that we had mm. to develop. There was no interest in you know you know whether we were making money or not or whether it was working or not. Um, and I was teaching a bunch of young farmers as well who were from the University of Forte, where Mandela and Robert Mugabe you know graduated. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They thought that I was fantastic. They loved me. They thought oh, you're a great guy. You, you know you actually us work, you know, understand them. So we ran study groups, and I still got a letter from them today to say, hey, you know, you've, you've helped us grow our minds. And I thought, oh, really? And, and suddenly I understood that there was something else to be done. So I got into the world of business and then landed up running um, a big plant 
that was in trouble. And again, when it was it got itself into trouble, you had the guys at the top who probably caused the trouble in the first place mm-hmm. because they weren't they weren't prepared to talk to the people. But because I'd learned to talk to people over fences and you know while I was working with them, yeah, it seemed natural that I would talk to to them. So I started talking to them and I said, plant is in trouble. They said, you manage us. You caused the trouble. And I put my hand up and I said, well, you're right, we did. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I did something completely against the rules. And then saw the impact that had. This was massive. I actually yeah. got the guy to sit down next to me. And he, I remember him clearly. And uh, he was pretty belligerent and he was pretty angry. You know, we were going to 1,500 people were going to lose their jobs, possibly. Um, and I said, well, how can we fix it? He says, but you busted. How can you ask us to help you fix it? And you can imagine our people looking down their noses at me, the, the, the board, right? Mm-hmm. Exception of the chairman, who I am still friends with today. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, he gave me the greatest mandate I've ever seen in turning a company around. Keith, fix it. Bye, Elf. <laughs> he was gone. Which so is wonderful, actually, because really what he was doing is giving you the ability to put into practice something that you started to see was very effective. It was incredibly effective because we spoke to everybody, right? Um, I mean, my favorite story is when I was, you know, used to go into the boardrooms. I think every quarter they sat down. And I just looked around that table and I thought to myself, what are you guys actually doing? And I remember one day actually asking my boss, then then boss, what, what are you, you know, we talk about strategy. It's a famous subject of strategy. Mm-hmm. We talk about forecasts. We talk about all these things. And I said, the plant is not functioning well. And I said, the people that are actually at the point of authority, the ones that are actually putting, you know, the stuff into cans and re-exporting it are not being spoken to. The customer facing thing is not being, no one's talking to anybody. All we've got is a whole bunch of guys with big fat salaries driving huge big cars, living in posh homes and kids at private schools, basically protecting their jobs. We're not talking to the right people. So I started talking to just about everybody. Um, and in three months, we turned it around. Boom, gone. A lot of people lost their jobs. Uh, but mainly the senior management team. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because um, they just were, they were just absolutely, I think that I heard, I've heard the story somewhere in the past where uh, a friend of mine said to me, the same guys that took me down the hole, can I, you know, can I expect them to get me out of the hole? They, they just weren't prepared to talk and they just holding, clutching onto their, jo- their jobs uh, and, and, and not prepared just to, to actually say what needed to be said mm-hmm. because they weren't talking to their own constituencies mm-hmm. and to their staff and they were not allowing them to participate. So you've taken your real life experiences and, and did your doctoral dissertation um, on the development of a conceptual framework for what you call equity-based practice in organizations. And I know you've got a five-step framework. And I know that 
that wasn't the only organization that you ended up using that model to do huge turnarounds in multinationals, family businesses, small and medium enterprises. And I believe it was through the use of this model. Can you t tell a little, what, can, you, can you actually talk about the model? Um, yeah, the, the model, when I met Bob Keegan, okay. All right, before I went on this, this, this doctoral journey, I was kind of vexed again, and I was kind of still struggling with understanding, you know, what I want my first person experience to be mm -hmm. in this world. Um, I, I, I always remember thinking to myself, I must be, I must be the, one of the few guys who lived in this little coastal town who walks around muttering more than any other person in the world because I was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you would imagine that I was like, you know, going to be picked up in a white van by men in white coats and <laughs> sanatorium. But I was constantly vexed and quite stressed, to be honest, because I had this enormous amount of experience and knowledge in growing businesses and turning them around. You know, using the people, very people-centric approach to it all. Mm -hmm. um, and I sell it and nobody wanted to buy it. Uh, so I thought, okay, well, you know, all right, maybe the problem's with me. So I actually went and actually started taking on, uh, I took on a supervisor uh, who was a psychotherapist. Uh, started with a psychologist and then I started with a, with a, then I left South Africa and then I started with a psychotherapist. Um, and as I was like training and, 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 and skilling and reskilling myself, I was kind of looking for something that's, that filled in the bits that could have been missing somewhere in my own. And then I kind of thought, okay, well, what I'll do is I'll head off to, to a place called Oxford Brooks, which was in the UK, uh, and do a doctoral doctorate in coaching and mentoring. And I thought, no, that's not going to answer the question. But, you know, for me, my love for business is too, too great. Right? I just enjoy the you know, thriving businesses and, uh, and act to be part of that, that leadership that, that allows them to thrive and people to enjoy work life. Mm -hmm. So I went on this long journey and I actually then went and uh, studied a little bit around um, human psychology. So I did a, a post-grad um, at Michael Smurford, which is a sort of, you know, one of these upmarket universities in, in, in Ireland. And I came out of it thinking... No, I still don't have the answer. Hmm. I didn't think coaching was the, actually the answer per se. Mm -hmm. So then in my frustration, I eventually heard that there was a program running at the local university, the University College of Cork. And there was a well-known Harvard professor who was the program supervisor. Um, and along with two other you know, professors. And I thought, okay, this sounds good enough. So I was interviewed. Mm -hmm. And um, she told me about this book. And she says, and by the way, you can read this book. You, know, get a, you can get, a, get in ahead of the, the rest of the posse, right? But now, there's one thing I will say to you about Ireland. Ireland, in terms of world-class education, is something phenomenal. Yeah. It's just phenomenal. 
you know, can you imagine me now going to Harvard? And, you know, I'd have to hock my house or sell my house or, you know, even sell my kids just to get into Harvard. Um, Don't do that. <laughs> well, no, I won't. Uh, and I didn't because the Irish state, incredibly generous. And because I was a, a European citizen, something that would have cost 100,000, just tuition, 100,000 euros, which would have been $150,000. Um, I got sponsored mm -hmm. uh, state. so I went for it um, and then I actually met Bob Keegan but for having got in ahead of them the rest of the crowd right? and that crowd was six of us I started reading his book in over our heads and I can tell you something most people don't you know are very critical of this book but I, I just got it I just got it. I just got it. And it's difficult to read, but the more difficult it is, the more difficult it was, the more I read it and the more I got it. Uh, um, if that was the book that you just showed me with, it's completely with tabs and dog-eared and <laughs> yes. Yeah. So a well-loved and well-read book. Oh, it's a fun, it's, it lives on my desk. Um, yeah. And part of you know my dissertation was to critique him because... I had to, you know, I had to use an adult mental development theory. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was put under pressure to, to motivate why I used him. And the thing that he said to, in, in that book was, you know, you've got to learn to meet people where they're at. And you've also got to understand that not everybody wants change. But those that do, that you've got to give them some way of developing. Right? Yeah. I started reading it. I just, I just got it. I just got it. Because everywhere... I went, uh, I discovered there were massive patches missing in my own development. Mm. And that excited me. And then to be able to relate that to, to leadership or relate the theory to, to, to leadership, that, that made it even more exciting. Okay. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so I started writing furiously, and I'm a terrible writer. I'm the worst in the world. Um, but I just started writing. And one of the greatest things they taught me on this doctoral journey was to you know, switch off the editor, just write, write, write. And I used to read what I'd written afterwards. And I thought, geez, I didn't realize that that's what was going on for you. But the powerful part of it was that he actually showed me from childhood all the way up to adolescence and into adulthood and into the modern adult, modern adult and the postmodern adult, that there were certain ways, you know, you could think. And by thinking, you could actually transcend what we call the glass ceilings. Now, I know that's a gender term in most people's world, but I always used to have these invisible barriers. How do I get from here, there, in terms of my thinking? Mm -hmm. Didn't know how. And he gave me the way out. So after all the therapy and all the gestalt and all, you know, all the various Jungian approaches, mm -hmm. he gave me to transcend all those therapies to be able to look in on myself and make sense of my life. And his most famous thing was, first observations are key to the next. I'll never forget that. And those will be etched on my corpse when I die. First observations are key mm -hmm, to the next. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the second thing that he said was, uh, in order to get yourself together, you need to get yourself apart. Mm. First time in my life, I actually started looking at the, 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 how I constructed the way I was thinking and feeling, right? Yeah, and yeah. I mean, it's just like buckets of insights just flowing out of, of the whole thing. And then be able to work with business leaders. 
Okay. Um, in this world as well. And you know what you, I think they call them C-suite leaders, you know, the senior mm -hmm. leadership. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what I do. I just, I've, I just moved into that world. And because I had a very strong commercial, very strong commercial back, uh, background in terms of, you know, rubbing the numbers. So you can imagine if you get the psychological stuff right, you get the social stuff right, mm -hmm. numbers right. Um, well, I, I go back to the first um, statement that you made that, that Keegan left with you. You have to actually be willing to do that first observation oh. to be able to take a look at the next one. And, yeah. you know, the challenge, I think, particularly when people get into formal leadership positions is, is a, a, a fear of vulnerability about... Yeah about looking inside yes. and yeah and just pulling out what they see the, the journey that you've been on which really makes you an even better leader but it very much makes you vulnerable and and it's the big question about what do i do with this you know you had a a, a bob keegan uh supervising and helping connect the dots um and that's what i love about your you know, you're, you're helping organizations with the breadth of knowledge and your education, um, the experiences that you bring, but you've also developed a framework of how this can work. And, and yeah. that's, that's what's, I mean, really a legacy piece for you because it, and it works. It, 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 uh, oh, oh, it works for sure. Um, the, the thing, I think the thing that fascinated me was I don't know who runs what programs where in terms of how they put them together. But it was such an important way of actually articulating yourself on a piece of paper, right? And getting it to academic standards. And I mean, oh my goodness, Jeez, that, that, that was the mental torch, okay? But all the stuff, right, that that, that particular program was about, is still stuck up on my wall here. And what I did like about this particular program is they pushed you into, I think the new term is called your inner development goals. Okay. Mm -hmm. The theory is that if, if you've done the work on yourself, you can work on others or you can work with others. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, but you've got to have done some work on yourself. Okay. And I think you can just bring that down to, you know, practice what you preach. Okay. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you also have to learn to see it from not just your perspective, but from an employer's perspective, an employee's perspective. So I looked at it from those three perspectives. Um, and then actually went on this five-year journey of, you know, working through eight companies and five of them signed on to the research. Um, and, you know, we just kept on testing and testing and testing and testing and testing and testing. And what I was doing is I was actually bringing in not just Bob Keegan's work, I was bringing in... Uh, Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy, they were actually colleagues at Harvard. And then I actually started bringing in Otto Sharma's work. Mm -hmm. Now, you talk about the rock stars. Those are them, man. Um, and then there were some other people that I brought in, like Fred, Frederick Lalu. Uh, and I started looking at, at the way they spoke and the way they postulated and, and what they believed would work. But I had to create a very critical element to to, to the dissertation. And that was one, 
that was was I think the sort of middle part of the dissertation was this this critical element of critiquing the research, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you actually have to go out there and practice it, right? Mm-hmm. So now to come up with a conceptual design, but now you've also got to go out there and practice it and actually be, be able to put your finger on, you know. I, th- I think the modern term is touch points. You know, when when I started behaving this way and leadership changed the way, you know, it was dealing with you know a particular issue. What happened? Mm-hmm. So questions, right? Yeah. And the funniest thing is that my external examiner said to me, I really laughed about this. He said, no, it's impossible. He said, says that it worked in every single case. I said, well, there were times that it didn't work because they reverted back to time. They actually went back to behaving in this overtly authoritarian way uh, and beating up on their staff. And and, and you'd actually shared in your dissertation that there were a number of companies that ended up choosing not to work with you. One, because the leader didn't feel that they wanted to make the internal exploration and changes with themselves, but also couldn't, didn't feel comfort in engaging in the model, which does ask everybody for their input, which is so uh, really a, 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 a diversion from the the authoritarian direction from the top um, model that we're probably most familiar with in in businesses today still? You know, the the thing that's that's interesting here is is it's it's not an easy concept to sell, okay? Because you're asking somebody who's so conditioned to being at the helm and being, you know, the purveyor of all knowledge and the know-it-all, uh, that he only knows one thing. Or she. My, the highway, right? <laughs> and that's yeah. what he knows. Yeah. So you now got to sit down with this guy now because what's happened is his business is flatlined or he's struggling with certain issues, you know, in terms of producing cash flow. And, and he's missing, you know, I don't know if you've seen the iceberg theory, you know. So if mm. you look at just the tip, right? Yeah. Sticking out, all right? And that's the success part, right? But we miss out on where it's really being produced, which is, the you know, what keeps that tip up there is you know, this huge body of ice under the, you know, below the, the waterline. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And th- that's missed out on. And I think of the enormous amount of knowledge that is generated through working, you know, the expanse of working, talking about employees generally, right, in that body that is under mm-hmm. the water, and how powerful that is if that, if that was brought to the surface. Right? And that is where I realized that we're missing out on so much. Um, and started, and that's why that, that model or that particular framework, as you'll notice, is iterative. So it, it starts with the first person, goes through the collective, goes through common will and the vision people have. It goes through them designing their own programs. It then identifies new problems and it keeps on running through that loop again and again and again and again and again. Um, but you can integrate any aspect of business into it, which is brilliant, even though I might have to say it myself. If it's a marketing problem, you can run it through there. If it's a fi- finance problem, you can. if it's a motivation problem, you can run it through there. Mm-hmm. 
if it's a wealth creation problem, you can run it through there. You can run anything through through that particular framework. Can you just, um, because our listeners won't necessarily have the model in front of them, it's a, a five step and yes, there are the iterative loops. Can you just really quickly go through sort of each of the steps and just a little bit about- okay. Yeah, sure. I mean, the first the first thing that I found, right, that's why this first person experience is, and I was talking about it early on, having understood my own first experience and conflict itself, there were certain mm -hmm. dilemmas that I was faced with. So having done the research myself, I said, well, wouldn't that now work with <laughs> talking to a business leader? Yeah. What's the dilemma? Why is your business not growing? What's going on for you? What's your experience of it? Uh, and, and, you know, what do you think we need to be looking at? So we start looking at the business dealer's own motivation, right? Mm -hmm. uh, own sense of, you know, how I would like to fulfill a preferred life uh, as a business leader. And take, we take him through a series of conversations. And we just do it really casually. And it's super conversational, mm -hmm. right? At that point, most of the leaders will, will, that you speak to will say, that's incredibly interesting because I've never looked at myself in this way. Mm -hmm. And I'm realizing that I, I may need help. That's what I get. All right. So as you know, uh, we think that business leaders, you know, that, that even the overtly authoritarian guys, uh, you know, are in control. They're not. They know they're not. It's a pretty lonely place, and they've been conditioned to believe that this is how they should do it. Mm -hmm. So the first step goes through those explorations. Then we have to say to him, or we don't have to say to him, we say to him, do you want me to start speaking to people within the organization, right? And we decide on what we're going to do. So what I normally do is then I start talking to the next level of leadership. Now, either they sign on or they don't. And I've actually often had them sign on, some of them, and some of them not interested. Okay. <coughs> and you have to have regard for that as well. <coughs> and often you find that those ones who sign on will sign on their teams as well. Mm -hmm. The initial sort of contact is one-to-one -one and then one-to-small groups and then one-to-bigger groups. Mm -hmm. It's just to build up that space, you know, uh, that psychological space. So you take yep, them out yep. of dialogue, you get used to them actually understanding that they can actually vent uh, and open up to a free mm -hmm. flow of ideas without reprisal. Mm -hmm. If you don't away, you're just not going to, they're not going to cut on. So it takes time. Psychological safety, yeah. Oh, uh, absolutely. But you know, in the way that we understand it, you know, we, we're trying to get people to actually say, hey, this is where we are as an organization. This is where we want to be. right? And this is what we believe the change agenda should be. So that would take us into the, what they call step two. But we're getting people to participate. Now, we know, and my research reveals that a lot of people won't go there. And neither, neither should they be pushed into it. Mm -hmm. And they will go there, right? And I'm still working with a group of four or five people where three of them are completely signed on to this work. One of them refuses to come into that space. But we already know that indirectly he's been influenced. Right? Mm, yes, of course. Right. Yeah. And the business, yeah. So it's not a one size fits all. But once you've got the sign on, 
right? Uh, then we move into the bigger picture thinking, which is what I call, people call strategy. I just call it a common will and vision, right? We all want this, this is where we want to go. This is who's going to go on this journey with us. Uh, and then that, that normally takes us into what we would broadly define as strategy. Uh, that once that's done, then the guys are starting to say, well, strategy isn't just a document that you stuff into a drawer and collects dust. Now we need to actually design the programs to actually implement the strategy and keep the strategy, you know, keep the program alive, right? So we actually work with them and actually design their own programs, their own action programs in terms of getting, you know, the outcomes they want. And then we constantly reviewing. So the more intense interactions would be, uh, some of them that I've done where I used to get 50% growth year on year, believe it or not, wow, six years on a trot. Whew. That was literally every week for the team. So, so the team is involved, not just for the providing input, but the communication back, engagement in the programs. So it's, it's, it's not just... Uh, no, they write, the, they write their own programs, but the reason... And this is a, a great little insight. Huh? Okay, the reason they, they 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 signed on to me is they could have conversations with me that they couldn't have with the business leader. You know, they could. That, did that um, did that change over time? Because you know, without your, your without your constant presence, does it revert back? Yeah, I'm constantly having to talk to people. You know, the, the first thing is that once you've built their confidence and and and, and their uh, trust in you, um, and and the, the key question here with them is actually, I've often said that I say, what is it you can talk to me, and not to your boss, like this? Why? 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 They said, I don't know. But more recently, they started just through that inquiry. They mm -hmm. Oh, and they're going to have to talk to him like this as well. Okay. So what's happened is the quality of dialogue has improved dramatically. Good. And, uh, you know, it's, every now and then there's quite a bust up. You know, it's like I've had the CEO of a company and his MD not talking to each other for three months, right? Um, and, and I was, like, supposed to be the mediator. Until one day I just looked at them both and I said, this has got to stop. I said, why are you? But they, they, they wouldn't let go of me because they were trying to find their way with each other. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now they found a way to dialogue with each other, which I call generative dialogue. They've gone from debate to dialogue to this co-creative process. Exactly I was going to ask you about generative yeah, dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, it was a, it was that's a Sharma term, by the way, Otto Sharma. Um, if you look at look, look it up in uh, I thought it was wonderful because I even remember my, my supervising professor saying to me, where'd you get this from? What is it? You can't just write it down. You've got references. And I had to dig around and dig around. I eventually found it in uh, Theory U, Otto Sharma's book. Um, but effectively, you know, it, the levels of dialogue, the, the, initially, you know, if you talk about debate, debate is oppositional. Yes. Okay, it's people arguing their point of view, right? And somebody wins. Well, that doesn't go anywhere. So one guy wins, and then the nuggets from the other person are not integrated. 
right? Dialogue opens up the possibilities that, you know, both could be wrong and both could be right in certain instances. And then, of course, the, the generative dialogue says, all right, so let's co-create. Let's take the best part of your argument and the best part of my argument and create something that is better than both, right? Yeah, yeah. That, and he's brilliant at that stuff. I mean, I, I like him. I, I, so, of course, you can imagine this farm boy now from Africa now getting very excited. What? Integrative thinking. Um, and I think it and was... Then, but then in bringing it into the organization, those are skills that you're going to have to be teaching. Because, you know, again, yeah, yeah. that's a, a typically a different model of communication than we see in most organizations. And yeah. so, so is that part of... Kind of the absolutely part of it. Um, in fact, I, when I first started with the first group, I, I put them into what they call uh, perspectives. Uh, you know, I, I asked them to look at things from three perspectives: you know, theirs, the other person's, and from each other's. You know, a group perspective mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that they could actually understand that there's more than one perspective, um, and actually learned that from an NLP certificate somewhere that I did in the years gone by. And um, it was really interesting because you think that without practice now, uh, no, no, having taught them this, that this would work, but the element that actually makes the difference is the practice. Yeah. You, yeah. You got to put them into, yeah, you, you have to go into a real world situation and you have to take them through these various levels of, of dialogue, right. Or communication and under, get them to understand it from more than one perspective. Um, and it's, it's, it's not just an overnight like zap, you know, it's not like, what do you call it? It's not a silver bullet. It doesn't just happen. Mm -hmm. it, it takes time. And to build these organizations, to be these type of organizations takes time, right? And that would, that would be the sustainability piece then in, in helping develop the skills in, in changing the culture. One of, one of you know, I, I we, we tend to get changes in, in governance. You know, we get changes in, in leadership. Mm -hmm. um, and unless something's pretty strongly ingrained, we, we, you know, there tends to be a capacity to revert back. And if an organization's put this kind of time and resources, then there's a commitment to going forward. And, oh, you, not, and this not being a flavor of the month in working with your model. Are you absolutely correct about that? So, so what? So, my longest running project is now going into year fourteen. Okay. Oh wow! Yeah, it's like it's it's full time employment. So it's like, oh, let's say it's, I'm I'm fully employed by this company to mm -hmm. develop their leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Including the CEO, right? So he's he's the most curious man in the world. Now if this if there's something. You know, if he sees something around the corner, he'll go and have a look. You know, if there's if he sees a rock, he'll he'll turn it over, right? And he'll look underneath it. <laughs> you never know what could be there. But that's what he does. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he's highly entrepreneurial. So he he he's not the sort of guy who 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 he likes to use some of the buzzwords, but he he's such a creative person that he's designed his own frameworks. And so would that, would that be something that <clears throat> as a consultant going into an organization with this model that you'd be looking for 
Like, are there, yes. when you're called in, are there organizations that you've walked away from going, you know, there just isn't sort of the, the concrete uh, raw material to be able to work with to move forward in this manner? Look, if, if you look at the results, right? If I look at what I've published, uh, and, and they, they're not just pretty pictures, they've, they're real pictures. Now, when, when you're doing like half a billion about turnovers, uh, turnarounds, half a billion dollars, yeah. uh, people kind of look up yeah, and say, oh, yeah, wow. That's worth, that's worth <laughs> the effort. Yeah, that's worth the effort. <laughs> that, was, that was worth it now. But in, in this particular case, uh, this man's vision, no, this is the guy who has a vision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's he's good at he's, he's he's incredibly creative, right? And his favorite thing is doodling, right? So he's constantly reconstellating his organization in terms of how he sees things working, you know, at this level of revenue and that level of revenue and that level mm-hmm. of revenue. <clears throat> and he's constantly pushing his senior leaders, right? to develop the next generation of leaders. Hmm. So the last piece of work we did was, I think it was, I don't know, what was it? it was last year or something, somewhere about mid- middle of last year. Mm-hmm. We got bored with asking, uh, with asking the smaller questions. We started asking the much bigger questions. Mm-hmm. And off we went. Next thing, boom, just during the pandemic, here comes this amazing p- picture. I mean, this guy's like a cosmologist. It's just like things float, balls floating all over the place. So we designed a system that says, okay, we'll keep evolving this business like that. Uh, and, you know, there'll be new people coming in over here. We've got to develop this next level of leadership. So we now de- we, we've now developed two generations, three generations of leaders in the organization. Mm-hmm. There's him. His immediate, call it the directors, right? Yep, yep. With him. Mm-hmm. And there's the next level coming through now, right? Who are being developed by the ones who went through, you know, my school, mm-hmm. and now there's the next level coming through, and they're yeah. de- constantly developing these highly autonomous um, units that can connect easily to each other, and the picture of, you know, the bigger picture of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, is it perfect? No, it's not. Does it work? You betcha. It works mm-hmm. extremely well. Well, and, and I just yeah. I, I watch. I watch. Yeah, yeah he's going to actually. Sorry, he's, he's actually got into developing his own frameworks, which is even more brilliant. Yes, because it would incorporate the specific needs of the organization and a whole team that's been educated in common language and and how we all work together. Yeah, and Absolutely. wow, succession planning. I mean, there's so many organizations that still haven't dealt with the reality of the boomers exodus from the, the work environment. Absolutely. Yeah. And not only that, he's a, he's a regular participant in my workshops and much of his work has been taught to other clients of mine who have taken it on and now they have their own frameworks as well. Right. Wow. wow. And took, yeah. So we've got uh, another organization, very profitable. Wow. Um, where the owner just said, I don't want to run this business. They must run it. <laughs> so it's working. Hey, can we, can you just mentioned uh, that 
this particular individual is taking a number of your workshops. And I know I thoroughly enjoy being involved in your, uh, although it's very early for me, uh, Thursday dialogues about leading in uncertainty. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the other programs that you're offering? Okay, well, the leading uncertainty thing is, is, is highly experimental. Okay, so let's just get into that. Mm -hmm. It's about getting people to talk about leadership, right? Uh, and and how it relates to their own developmental goals. In other words, you know, and uh, it's fun because I'm getting all kinds of people thinking, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a solo artist, I'm on my own, therefore there's no organization. And I said, but who told you that? And, you know, then I asked them, you know, when I walked them through, you know, the workshops, I actually said, just kind of look around you. What, do you what's, what is this that you have around you? Well, people. I said, who are they? So the organization. This is not a it's not a legal entity. It's about human connection. Okay. Mm -hmm. And learning from your from all your rich experiences. Mm -hmm. Okay. All your rich experiences. And you know, teaching, learning, participating. So I come out of them every time and I think, well, you, you have no idea. This is this is better than a wild party on the beach somewhere, you know. Uh, it is just like the greatest fun because you're starting to see people starting to interact with each other in a way that they normally wouldn't, right? Mm -hmm. And they started and, to and, show. Yeah, sharing ideas. I mean, we, we just came off that call. And, you know, I know that a number of us had ahas for our own businesses and just our own thinking. So, yeah, they're fabulous. And, of course, that you're always sharing the latest and greatest um, of your readings with us, uh, which also generates dialogue with the group. I, uh, but you also, I, you also, you also, Keith. I'm watching time a little bit here. Um, you've got a rumble in the jump, the jungle, and a what's in the way is the way. Um, specific programs. Can you talk a little bit about those? Yeah, rumble in the jungle is normally for somebody who. I get a group of businessmen together, right, who, who may be a sort of small, let's say, you know, they, they've got 10, 15, 20 employees, um, maybe more, in some cases, a couple of hundred. Uh, and, and they need to get into what we call a co-learning environment. Okay. So it's a very much, it's, 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 it's actually run by me because it needs, it needs, you know, it needs that skill level, right? Uh, and I put them into what they call step backs. Right, where they they take on a particular dilemma that they've got and everybody steps back on them and actually takes it on for them and they go through this co-learning exercise with each other, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and that runs for a full day, right? So there could be eight people in there. Uh, we'd be lucky if we get through four uh, and then we run it, you know, every quarter. And in, in between those sessions, what happens is people have access to me if they, you know, if they, if they want to pick up on some of the stuff that okay. happened there. Yeah. Okay. It's done very respectfully. And it's done very skillfully and it's very, 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 it's very powerful, very powerful. Also based on Bob Keegan's work. Okay. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. The uh, what's in the way is the way is actually just about actually understanding the, the, the dynamics of, of, of human connection and the difficult to have conversations, you know, when we're busy, especially now post pandemic and post pandemic mm -hmm. is how we actually going to contact, make these connections and do business with each other. <laughs> we look at a whole bunch of issues there. Firstly, you know, you know, what is it? You know, you know, we, we so what I do is I access again some of the top thought leaders 
and I bring bring those readings in mm -hmm. to the workshops, mm -hmm. and yeah. that runs for uh, they they full afternoons, and they run for four weeks at a time, um, and they they they're very good. We've the, the pilots on those have been brilliant, and they've been absolutely. I mean, I'm learning from them at a rate of knots. I'm just going to go back. Thank you, because I've been curious. I've I've seen you your marketing for them and and wanted to know a little bit more. So now my my questions answered too. Um, I'm just going to go back on on the notes that I took. You at some point talked about that there must also be silence, the power of the pause, and you talked about the acronym wait. And I've, I'm going to tattoo that on my wrist because I sometimes talk too much and I need to listen more because WAIT is an acronym for why am I talking? So that I think would be part of the future sensing and the true listening about what's going on is Otto Sharmer's U theory and getting to the bottom of the U. Um, have I got that right? Sort of. I would say for me, if you really want to get people to grow, mm -hmm. you need to void the space because mm -hmm. it's too intense. So if you're on somebody's back all the time, right, the person hasn't even gone out there, stepped back on it and had a look at it and given it a go. And I would have learned that from Otto Sharma. Mm -hmm. I think when I did one of his courses, I can't remember which one it was. He had this picture of the conductor. It was a real life thing. A conductor conducting an orchestra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This intensity, right? And he was doing this and doing that and, you know, pointing the baton on this guy and mm -hmm. pointing the baton at that person. And eventually he just ran out of the seam and he goes, whoosh, and he just goes like this. And he voids the space, all right, to let the next thing in. Mm. And the next thing happened to be one of the world's best sopranos or sopranos and, you know, tenors or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. and, and just like wrap the place to pieces. And the, the orchestra will be behind them. But by voiding the space, he gave them space to perform. Yes. Okay, good. I, I know you've spoken of it. And, um, and again, this is my opportunity of digging deeper and you're, you're just, um, yeah. you're, you modeled the digging deeper. I'm just watching the time for the podcast. And is there another nugget that you could leave us with something, um, something to share about leadership and what you've experienced in you're being a leader. I think yeah, I'll I, I always be the champion of being a good follower helps you become a good leader. I'll always be the champion of that. Okay. And obviously a good follower will follow a good leader. Okay. And that's how you, you develop leaders. And then when you get to the place where you really are in it, it's, you know, you're learning from the same people that you've, you've led, mm -hmm. right? Or always, are leading. Always. Mm -hmm. uh, you're just learning from them all the time. 
and they're learning from you. It's a completely different dynamic. Uh, it makes you, it makes, it makes so much knowledge and experience accessible. Um, and often is the difference between failure and success. Often. And, you know, I've been, I've been diving into engagement. Um, just wow, what a powerful variable in engagement, whether you're a leader or whether you're a follower. Of, of just that that inclusion, that capability of giving and being heard. Um, so yeah. no surprise that the model that you've developed, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is having the huge financial and I think probably the full spectrum of rewards for all involved. And I just, <laughs> love, I would sure love to see it being applied more frequently in our organizations? Well, it's definitely not, you know, I didn't spend all this time bringing together everything that I knew along with some of the best thought leaders in the world into a document to go mm -hmm. and put it on shelf to collect dust. Right, it's my contribution <coughs> to the, this, the world and it's definitely, one of it is to create prosperity at every every level of life. It's it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to it belongs to the world. And if people want it, they've got access to it. And I'm I'm so grateful that I was able to say this is my contribution to knowledge. Um, you know, and maybe you know if you really want to get sort of that way about it, you know. It's my scholarly contribution to well, it's a it's a legacy piece. You know, yeah. I think that's that's really critical. It's funny, I, I noticed that your purpose is strives for inclusion, transparency, and the well-being of the whole to sustain and increase rates of growth. I've watched this drive you. Um, your your quest is palpable and infectious. Um, but your other tag is helping individuals, groups, and leaders think and grow. And you've done that through the research that you did in the dissertation, through the model that you've created for organizations to follow. Now, if people are interested in receiving um, either a copy of your dissertation or a copy of the model, um, recreate, R-E-C-R-E-E, -E -E, and then the number sign eight is your business. All of your contact information is going to be on the show notes for this podcast. And I'm thinking you're probably hoping to encourage people to reach out and connect with you if they're interested in learning more. Um, through Recreate, you're going to have the information about the programs that you're offering and also about the, the dialogue group that I very much enjoy participating in very early because, of course, it's UK time and I'm in Vancouver, British Columbia <laughs> um, on Thursday mornings. Um, I know you've helped me. I have my brains on fire in a good way. <laughs> Every time I come out of those, those dialogue sessions, Keith, I have really appreciated you making the time to chat today about your leadership journey, the importance of, of digging deep. Uh, first of all, personally, uh, just being self-aware, one of the important pieces of emotional intelligence 
and then helping organizations uh, do that uh, with their whole organization, uh, not just the individuals at the top in the formal leadership uh, positions. Um, just wonderful that you've been able to create so such so many good things, not just the financial uh, success, but also uh, engagement. And uh, wow, some of the figures that you've given of how how much success this model can create uh, has been really interesting. Yeah, just very exciting. Well, I mean, anybody who, I think, what did I hear read recently? Uh, you know, something, something to do with common sense. It's like how little there is of it out there at the moment. But you know, when you common sense the future, you know, it's a group of people, you know, and a group of people, you know, is a bunch of individuals. <laughs> you and I could get into a whole other podcast on common sense. And, and it, it takes us back to, it loops us back to the beginning. It's common sense is often what we've learned, right? The socialization, the cultural, societal socialization of what that common sense looks like and feels like with how we are, you know, the environment that we're raised in and what you underwent to you know, to basically unshackle yourself from that and know that that's not how you as an individual wanted to, to live and to, to move forward. Um, yeah, well, you know what? I always believe that there has to be, there has to be meaning and purpose. You know, um, I've got the greatest meditation in the world is looking back on myself, you know, if I lived a life with little or no regret, you know, what would I have done, right? So I'm still on that journey. So it's not like, this is it. This is, you know, I'm not the sort of guy who's, uh, you know, I've done most of the things I wanted to do. I've flown my airplanes, traveled the world, and now this is what I'm doing. And that's, you know, I don't know what happens after that. The religious fathers will tell you, you go to heaven or hell. I don't know. Maybe I'll go visit both. <laughs> <God knows. laughs> okay, well, well, we'll leave that uncertainty. <laughs> Anyways, I just... I want to thank you again um, and to you, our listeners, for uh, engaging with us today in this um, very interesting conversation and uh, Keith's journey um, and an encouragement to be doing similarly to do some of that self-reflection and, and, oh my goodness, to be able to build some of the organizations that Keith's been able to help with. We hope that you have enjoyed uh, your time with us today. Um, as I shared, Keith's information is on the show notes if you're interested in speaking further with him and finding out a little bit more about the model that, um, that he is encouraging into uh, different organizations. Again, his company is Recreate 8, Recreate, R-E-C-R-E-E-8. And I hope that uh, you'll come back next week uh, to join me as you guessed it. I encourage you to continue to dare to soar. It's time for us to fly. Keith and Susan signing out. Keith, thank you again. This has been wonderful. And I always find time with you just delightful and very fascinating. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. All the best, everybody. Thank you again. Bye for now. Well, we've reached our destination for today. Time to lower those wheels and prepare for landing. Thank you for joining me. If I said something that resonated with you, please subscribe to the podcast and to share it with others. It would be awesome if you also took the time to provide a review 
whatever your favorite social media sites are. If you have a question or an area that you hope I'll cover in a future session, please send me a note either to my website, www.effectingchangefromwithin.com or to my email, susangene at gmail.com. I look forward to our next time together. In the meantime, soar high. I believe you can. Susan signing off. Thanks again for joining me.